So we're looking at this. It's quite a well-known passage, actually. It's the uh, Luke chapter 24, 13 to 35. It's got the heading on the road to Emmaus. Uh, for those of you who perhaps aren't so familiar with it, the, the time uh, that this is taking place is uh, three days after Jesus has been crucified, he's been buried, and uh, there is a journey taking place. Two men are on a journey, and um, Jesus meets with them, although they don't recognize him, and, they can, and finally at the end of the uh, story, the end of the account, they do recognize him. That's kind of the summary. But at the same time, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Journey is uh, such a well-used metaphor. We use the idea of a journey again and again and again. Earlier on, um, before our prayer time, I mentioned um, Pilgrim's Progress, which is a journey. It's It's a metaphor of a journey, a man who leaves the city of destruction to find the celestial city. He leaves uh, his life, which once was, to gain eternal life. At the same time, the idea of being on a journey is used in all sorts of other ways. So often it's used uh, in literature. It's a metaphor which often we use to kind of... I suppose when we're going through some tough times... Uh, one of the things that we might say is, well, we are on a journey. It's a way of encouraging us maybe at times to remind ourselves um, that what's going on isn't just an event which is disconnected, but actually it's, it's something which is part of a greater something. Journeys are in a very powerful thing, and Luke captures here a journey, a metaphor of a journey. Of course, we can be just traveling. I think there's a difference between just wandering around and being on a journey. I think the word journey conveys the idea of knowing where we've been and knowing where we're headed, whereas we can just wander. I saw a great t-shirt. We've been away for a couple of days. saw a great t-shirt, which if it hadn't made me look about five, I might have bought uh, it said on the front of it, I'll make sure I get it right, not everyone who, won, who won, wanders, I'll start that again, that was, it was a good t-shirt, not everyone who wanders is lost. I thought that was quite an interesting comment, isn't it? Sometimes we can feel as if we're wandering around, we can actually feel as if we're lost. Um, if, as, it was a fantastic slogan, I think it could really be used for all sorts of things, but... Um, not on me. Uh, so the journey is something that we're going to be looking at. I think that we're going to see three things. The first thing that we're going to see is that this journey brings insight. Brings insight. Look at the, the way in which these men are traveling. Firstly, we see we have an insight into their condition. They're traveling. We see in verse 13, they're going from Uh, Jerusalem to Emmaus, it's seven miles, it's a journey that they are on. They're talking with each other about everything that had gone on. They talked and Jesus came and joined with them on the journey. They didn't recognize him. But verse 17 gives us an insight into how they were. says this, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk? They stood still their faces downcast. 
That was the condition of these two travelers. Those few words capture all sorts of um, emotional strands, don't they? Think about it from their perspective. They've been traveling with Jesus on the journey of his ministry. We don't know how long. These are not, when it says, um, when it says that they're followers of Jesus, they're not part of the very close 11, but they are clearly uh, in touch with Jesus and his leading group of 11 followers. We don't know how long, but I suspect that they've been traveling, they've been part of this engagement in the ministry of Jesus from, for some time. In a sense, this journey that they're on, it looks like the end of their journey, doesn't it? It looks like what they've got to is a real sense of disappointment. They've got to a point where everything that they had hoped for has fallen apart. It's a picture of true loss. A picture of their, their deep emotional state. Somebody is talking to them, asking them a question, and their, their physical demeanor means that they don't even lift their heads up to engage in the conversation. They are broken by the experience. They are shattered. In all sorts of ways, their hope is lost. This looks like the end of the road, albeit that they're on a seven-mile road. In fact, we can see in verse 21, we can see precisely why they feel uh, a sense of hopelessness. They've been reflecting on the, on the experience of Jesus. They've been trying to understand his ministry, and they had really, they'd really taken a hold of it. They were committed to it. They valued it. They really believed in it. And then they say in verse 21, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. Again, we saw it last week, um, the idea that people say things without actually, at that moment in time, realizing the significance of what it is that they're saying, the accusation that was made towards Jesus as he was nailed to the cross. We actually see these guys here, they're saying, we had we'd invested all of our hope in Jesus. And actually, it looks like it's hopelessness. I suspect that when they say it's the third day since all this took place, I suspect it's a response which is more, we are absolutely convinced now that our hope was misplaced. It looks hopeless. We're nowhere. Look at what he says, what they say. We had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. You see, they hadn't just loved Jesus' teaching. They had understood that what Jesus was saying was part of the heritage, their history, the idea that the people of God would one day rise again and be seen to be the place of hope, light, 
joy, satisfaction, the blessed of God. Uh, and what they, what they see now is he, he hasn't done that. We're still under Roman occupation. We've not been freed. We've not been liberated. Actually, for all of that, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. We are hopeless. Maybe your experience as you're uh, spending time coming to terms with the Christian message, maybe you can really relate to something of that, that you're, you're listening, you're engaging, you're thinking about, but your personal experiences, right at this moment in time, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. I think that's where these two men are. They've loved the, the idea, they've looked for the hope, but now nothing has changed. So we get an insight into their condition. Hope is lost on multiple levels. We also get an insight into the condition of Jerusalem, the surrounding area. We see uh, in verse 43, we'll jump through, uh, sorry, we see in verse 18, uh, we read this. One of the men who's named Cleopas responds to a question that Jesus asks. He's asked what they're discussing, and his answer is really interesting. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? That little sentence gives us another insight, doesn't it? We see the condition of the men themselves, but we also see what was going on in the city of Jerusalem. The idea that Jesus, the, the, the events of Jesus, was a kind of an almost unseen thing that was going on, which was subsequently blown out of all proportion by his followers later on does not bear historical scrutiny. It doesn't, it doesn't stack up. And these two guys, they give precisely that insight to us. Their response is, effectively it is this, the past few days in Jerusalem have been mind-blowing. And you're saying what's gone on, effectively, you're saying, what's been happening? I can't, almost can't believe that there would be any other subject of conversation other than this Jesus event, is what the two men are saying. As they're walking away from Jerusalem, in their minds, if anybody's walking away from Jerusalem, there is only going to be one subject of conversation for everybody. That days before, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem uh, to huge acclamation. And then an, he, he then disrupts the temple. His, his teaching and his ministry is right in the spotlight. Then he's arrested, and there is mayhem during his arrest. He's tried very publicly to the point where there's a huge number of people who have done a complete reversal from loving him to loathing him. 
And they are now shouting for him to be crucified to the point where his crucifixion, which was a common event in Jerusalem, crucifixion, was a very public event. Everybody was aware what was going on. Crucifixions were common. In fact, just like the pillory that we looked at a few weeks ago, it would have drawn the crowds. But crucifixion of Jesus was off the scale in terms of how public it was. And here's Jesus dying on a cross very publicly. They give us an insight with their words into what pretty much all scholars would accept, that the event of Jesus was a dramatic historical event. Whatever we believe about whether he, was, he rose again from the dead, the Jesus event in Jerusalem was a dramatic event in historical terms. The idea that Jesus nailed on a cross and somehow was whisked away in that kind of public arena once again, doesn't bear scrutiny, does it? We see that the Jesus event is dramatic. So we see the insight of what is going on in Jerusalem. I suppose, if we're wanting to pick up the metaphor of the journey, we would say this, these two guys are desperately trying to work out what has just happened. And what does it mean to me? Have you ever had one of those experiences where you've invested a huge amount into something and then for some reason what you are aiming for doesn't materialize? It's common, isn't it? In sports particularly. People who invest so much in a commitment to achieve one goal and then in the half hour before that ultimate performance they pull a muscle and they can't even perform. What does it mean? How do I respond to that? How do I, how do I get over this? How do I work out what's happening in my life? These guys were just in that situation. I've committed. Now what? So I would say the, the journey that we see, firstly, it brings insight. Secondly, the journey brings revelation. That, that's kind of like a, a Bible word, isn't it? It just means revealing. The act of revealing. It's the way in which something is seen. There it is. It's revealed to you. If I had a masterpiece here on the, on the platform and it was covered in a sheet and I pulled the sheet away, it would be a revelation. I would be revealing to you that something. This brings, this journey brings revelation. But it also brings and it ties together and Luke brilliantly sees how it ties together Two critical things. Firstly, he sees that what it ties together is the event tied in to the Scripture that has already 
been written. Look at what we see in verse 26 and 27. Jesus responds and he says, Are you slow to believe? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Then he goes on. Luke says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was going, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. That must have been the most amazing biblical theology that you would ever experience. You kind of biblical students. Imagine walking with Jesus for seven miles, wherever he joined, maybe we don't really know, but for a good period of time. It's not a short walk. Imagine what it must have been like where Jesus takes you on a stepping stone journey through the whole of the Old Testament and he shows how everything that has already been written was pointing to Jesus. Imagine what it must have been like. It must have been spine tingling. As Jesus talks about maybe Ezekiel and he says something about Ezekiel and then suddenly all of the pieces drop into place where they see all of a sudden how Ezekiel was actually talking about Jesus. How Moses was talking about Jesus. How Amos was talking about Jesus. Imagine what it must have been like. They, They must have been just, it must have been a tsunami of information and biblical guidance and wisdom. They must have just looked at this wave and this is incredible. In other words, I would suggest, and we see in in a minute the impact that it had, I would suggest that they had never, up to this point, understood really what the Old Testament meant. They'd never really understood it. They believed it. They had hope in it. But here's Jesus suddenly changing the whole of their perspective. Everything that they thought they understood has now been changed. It must have been incredible, their experience. In fact, in verse uh, 32, they reflect on that conversation, that electric conversation, and they say, were not our hearts burning within us while we talk, he talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? Our hearts were burning. Not that they had heartburn, <laughs> but that their hearts, their emotions, their experience was just bubbling over. Oh, wow. It's been a privilege on a number of occasions to have one of those conversations as, as some of the key pieces drop into place and, and, and somebody understands what this means. I remember when certain things just dropped into place for me. It's just like, never seen that. That is just amazing. It's incredible. What else is Jesus doing as he speaks in that way? 
He's also making a dramatic claim about what the Old Testament is. He's saying, effectively, this is God's Word speaking about me. And I trust it, is what he's saying. I believe it. I trust everything that's said back there. I think it's of value. I think it says something. I believe that it is spoken in a way by God, yet through a multitude of writers. He's making a claim about the revelation, the revealing of God in the Bible, in the Old Testament. It's a dramatic thing that he's saying. So the first thing that we see, it brings revelation through the Bible. The second thing that it brings is revelation that is personal. Look at what happens. They arrive at Emmaus. It's later on in the day, towards the evening. Jesus appears as though he's going to carry on. And they say, no, stay with us. And so he stays. We don't know why, other than I would say that it was a deliberate intent of Jesus for him not to be recognizable. But this is the moment where they see Jesus. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. If the conversation was electric, what must that moment have been like when they suddenly see who they're eating with? A little moment which in a sense connects that revealing of Jesus, that revelation of Jesus, to what we remember every month on the first Tuesday of the month. It was an act of breaking bread and sharing wine together, which was uniquely different and identified Jesus for who He is. There's the second revelation. You see, the first one is scriptural, but you can really believe in one sense, you can believe the Bible as much as you like. It's when Jesus gets personal. When He becomes personally, in living form, real to you. That's where we see Jesus. We sang earlier, that's why I pinched the words off Dave, there is a love so unreserved, we only need believe. And there is a sense that is absolutely true. That is the amazing thing about the message of the Bible. That's the amazing thing about the message of the gospel. We only need to believe it. 
But to truly believe it, to truly see Jesus, changes everything. It just changes everything. So we've seen that there's insight, we've seen that there's a revelation, but this journey also brings hope. One of the things that I find really interesting is that these two men were traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's the third day. They've already said that remarkable things have been going on. We don't know why the journey was made. Matthew Henry suggests that actually at this moment in time, as they begin the journey, they were probably making a statement that all of this excitement, they were just not in for it. I'm just, they, they say, when they return back, or rather they say to Jesus while they're discussing, in addition, verse 22, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. <laughs> I mean, imagine. This conversation has been going on. They've been talking about, some of the women are saying, Jesus has risen from the dead. His tomb's empty. Listen, let's get out of here. That's a remarkable decision, isn't it? It's an in- incredible decision. They've been with Jesus during these past days when these stories are starting to emerge that Jesus' tomb is empty, that some of the women have seen him. At that moment in time, they go to Emmaus. That is remarkable, I think. It's mind-blowing. If that was going on and you were really in belief mode, you'd hang around wouldn't you? You'd wait and see what happened because these are just, these are not small claims that are being made. These are just huge claims that are being made. But they go to Emmaus. What What is the response of the revealing of Jesus? At the end of their journey, in the evening, they turn round and they leg it back to Jerusalem. You see, that's the kind of thing that really seeing Jesus does. It changes everything from hopelessness to hopefulness. From nothing to everything. From dead to alive. That's the kind of difference that they experience. This journey brings complete hope to them. You see how, in a way, and and I find this hugely encouraging, who do you think deserves, in human terms, who do you think deserves the kindness of Jesus revealing Himself to them? In human terms, you would say the people who've stayed in Jerusalem, wouldn't you? You'd say the people who haven't lost faith and disappeared running away 
They're the people who you would say deserve for Jesus to appear to them. And yet Jesus is kind and he's compassionate and he reveals himself to precisely the people who are running away. I find that just amazing. I find that filled with hope. Jesus reveals himself to those who would effectively say with, them, with, the, with the guy previously we mentioned in our prayer, I'm doubting. I, I just don't believe this anymore. That's who Jesus revealed himself to. That's encouraging, isn't it? Where are you right now? Where are you? In, in terms of an understanding of that true, deep, rich belief in Jesus, are you at that point of saying, Do you know what, I'm not sure, and I'm beginning to run away? Well, the great news is that Jesus does not abandon people who, who feel like that. That is not the kind of thing that Jesus says, well, then you can just go and run. <laughs> it changed everything for those two men. It prompts a return to precisely where they were leaving. I think that in one sense it's a real return, but it's a deeply metaphorical return as well, isn't it? In one sense they turn around and they travel seven miles. In another sense they go back to everything that's back there. They go back to the possibility and the fear of arrest. They go back to that group that they've abandoned because they're effectively saying, we're just not sure. And they go back without any sense of guilt, without any sense of having to answer. They just go back and they kind of, we don't really know, but it gives the impression that they almost burst in. They go back uh, and when they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, so here's this, They've got the 11 disciples and all of the other followers assembled together. What do they do? Slip quietly in in the background? Just kind of with a kind of sense of embarrassment? Say, okay guys, uh, we're back. Hope you don't mind. Absolutely not. They're just straight in there and they effectively, they say, it's, well, it, saying it's true. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Please, if, you've, if you know that you are maybe beginning to wander away, sometimes coming back, Sometimes saying, no, I'm back, can for us emotionally be a really hard thing to do. But these two give us an example precisely of how we come back. What did the 11 and the, the others assembled do? Say, no, we're not listening to you. No, they say, that is great news because you've seen Jesus. That's great news. It is not a problem to come back. It really isn't. But it changed everything for them. We don't know a great deal. Well, we don't know anything more, really, into the future. But how do you think that event shaped their lives? 
I would say without a shadow of a doubt that the Old Testament was no longer theoretical to them. By the way Jesus taught them, they understood what it was all about and they now believed in a living, risen Jesus. And therefore, when, he, when they said, with downcast hearts, we thought he was here to redeem Israel, they would now be saying with a smile on their face, filled with hope, he's here to redeem Israel. Because true redemption, true life, is not about being released from Roman rule. It's about defeating death. And that's what Jesus has done. And therefore they say real redeeming of the people of God is when we can say we live in Him. That's great news, isn't it? A journey, a metaphor, and a real journey all colliding together so that it fulfills precisely what Peter says at the very beginning of his book where he says this, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning and I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know for certain of the things you have been taught. That's why he wrote this account, so that you and me can be certain of the things that we've been taught about Jesus.